Hello, cuties. This is Alfred Hitchcock presenting to you a tale of mystery, suspense, murder, and intrigue. Don't get murdered out. This is Master Shot. I'm Alina. This is Eddie. We're and here this- presenting to you our boy. For our director spotlight, Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense. So, for some reason, if some of you do not know who this is, some notable movies we have here is Dial M for Murder, Psycho, Psycho. The Birds, Vertigo, Marnie, North by Northwest, Rear Window, Notorious, Young and Innocent, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and Murder. Murder! (laughs) So, Sir Alfred Joseph Hitchcock was a film director, producer, screenwriter, editor, actor, and art director. He was a a very busy man. He did everything and was a control freak. And this is exactly why he did everything. (laughs) A A man who wanted it. And he came into the film industry in 1919 as a title card designer for silent films. Which is those guys who, you know, make the the words after they speak in the silent movies. And then they put up the cards and it says what they said. Even though sometimes it feels like it doesn't match what they actually said in the movies. Because I'm pretty sure they were just talking a bunch of shit. (laughs) I would have. If I was in those movies, I would not have lip-synced anything. I would have just been talking mad shit about the director himself. And then <laughs> they would have just put in some cards for something, you know. <laughs> I think that's the reason why they needed to start putting in cards. That, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, though. I mean, you know, it's easy to get carried away. You know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, Alfred Hitchcock has since become known for directing over 50 feature films and earning the title as master, master of Suspense. The Master of Suspense. And he is one of the most influential filmmakers in history. And his career spanning over six decades is studied extensively. His films have had 46 Oscar nominations and six wins. Yeah, which is really crazy because, I mean... There's a lot of influential directors that are, you know, contribute to horror movies and slashers and things like that. But it seems like without Alfred Hitchcock, we wouldn't have had a Dario Argento. We wouldn't have had a lot of great people directing it. You know, he he kind of paved the way for a lot of people. And I know we said Dario did, but he kind of had a, uh, the beginning, the foundation of suspense, mystery, and that crime drama. And really, well. even just movie making in general. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, he, 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 you could tell his artistic wasn't just in a, in a certain genre. Like, he could do pretty much anything. And even when he first started films, he was, he was doing popular movies, like, you know, more mainstream. And then he was also doing the, uh, you know, his suspense. But you could tell that's where his heart lied, was in this mystery, suspense, and things like that. You know, that was definitely where he he got most of his thrills from. I think it was just from his upbringing and the way that he he was 
you know, as oh, far as him being a misfit. <laughs> and uh, so he did actually begin his directorial career with silent, a silent film called The Pleasure Garden in 1925, a film based on a novel by Oliver Sandys by the same name. And his main influence to his work being from silent film director F.W. Murnau, who created films like Nosferatu and The Last Laugh. Which is a great movie. Nosferatu is awesome. I mean, for silent movies, he just looks like, uh, I'm trying to think, like a goblin vampire. Like, I could imagine... Oh, yeah. You know, just a goblin vampire. That's that's what they would be. That I feel like that's what um, in uh, Salem's Lot, in the original Salem's Lot, the vampire looked just like Nosferatu, and I feel like that's probably where they got the idea from. It's just that Most bald head with the <laughs> rat fangs and everything like that. You know, he didn't really have the the the, the iconic two vampire teeth. You know, his whole mouth was pretty much just little. He well, he kind of had like the the rat teeth, like the snake snake teeth, I guess you would say. You know, the little sharp sharp uh, things. Now, I will say the Pleasure Garden. I don't know what that movie is about, but it sounds a lot dirtier than what it probably is. <laughs> I'm just saying. I I I get it. You know, 1925. It's it's the free love movement. You know. Um, but I, <laughs> I feel like there might have been other ways. Well, Maybe, you the, know, put in the garden of... Ple- well, no, that still sounds no, pretty dirty, no, too. No, no, Pleasure so, Garden, probably. Pleasure Garden <laughs> I is... Guess that's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> okay, but Pleasure Garden is about infidelity. Oh. Uh, yeah. The source of pleasure. Pretty there much. A, so that is it where is that a blooming, connects. Blooming infidelity. I like it. You know, that's I mean, the the man's the man's uh, putting in his garden pots of infidelity, you know. All right. And so when it comes to the silent films, this is where Hitchcock claims to have learned to tell a story without words. His first successful film was The Lodger, a story of the London fog in 1927, which helped shape the thriller genre. It is also considered by many to be the first true Hitchcock film. That's really cool because, I mean, just his style alone that you can you can identify his in all those classic movies and everything like that. His stand out in his own way, you know, and you can definitely tell um, he had, like we were saying earlier, very controlling. And that most of the time he was kind of when he first started out he was kind of on the sidelines a lot of times he was doing you know small parts and he he and then on top of that he had to kind of abide by what the producers and everything like that they had a lot of control but once he once he kind of got his start you know once he finally was able to break away from that you could definitely tell that those movies were yeah he made sure that he had his hand in every single cookie jar of that movie, you know, well, he's nomming on the cookies and <laughs> loving it. You know, I mean, you could tell yeah, by from, his size from the story itself to the music, the way that it was shot and the actors yeah. that were in it, he had a role in all of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and, and he just, 
I feel like a lot of creative people, they, especially with directors, the most creative directors and the most successful ones are the ones who control are very controlling and who have the most control over it because they, I mean, he was writing the films as well as directing them, but you know, that just goes to show that he wanted every aspect to be exactly what he wanted. And he didn't let the actors have a chance to change anything up for him. Exactly. You know? And in 1929, uh, the film Blackmail was the first British film with sound. This film used sound equipment imported from the U.S. to dub over the film. He soon became an international hit by the 1940s. And his career reached a peak between 1954 and 1964, during which time movies like Psycho, Vertigo, and The Birds came out. Which are all great movies. Um, The Birds, if you don't know what it's about, it's about birds killing people. (laughs) And that's pretty much enough said. I mean, all 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 you need to know is that people get fucked up by these birds. Now, are yeah, they different types of birds? A reason. Is there seagulls? Yes. No. Or I, are they... I, I don't believe so. But okay. <laughs> what... I'm just thinking because each bird probably has its own temperament, you know? Okay. But in the movie The Birds, because I clearly remember this movie, of, like okay. watching it all the time from when I was little, was the reason why a lot of the birds around the surrounding area started freaking out was because mm. the woman who moved in also brought her own bird, who was, like, in a cage and all that kind of yeah. stuff, as a pet. And those birds, like, the outside birds, for some reason, started freaking out and everything because that bird was here. What, was it a bird from another country or something? I just... don't know exactly. Maybe it was, it's been a maybe while it was a demonic bird. Maybe they can sense the evilness. Okay, th- his movies do not get into demons. That's true. It'd be pretty cool if they did, though. But, no. Uh... But, okay, so, but let's go <laughs> ahead and uh, get into some more specifics when it comes to Hitchcock's style that he created. Uh, so, the style of film is all his own and has influenced many filmmakers after him. Uh, Some of the characteristics of his style include climactic plot twists, average people thrust into strange and dangerous situations, for instance, in Psycho, The Man Who Knew Too Much. And with Psycho, they just go to the motel. (laughs) They go to the motel, they're just normal people, (laughs) and end up all of a sudden getting either you know murdered or murdered? find out yeah uh there's like a murdered. there's a cross dresser I mean, with yeah, a exactly. dead body upstairs like well, it, well he's just trying very to be unique. his mom you know he he loves his mom so much that he wants to be her and he just wants her th- around yeah well he misses her you know yeah. he misses her and i mean so, i don't know if his mom was killing people but <laughs> i I feel like he probably should have calmed down a little. Now, my thing, though, is that people are going to this motel. Are they, is it off the highway? Yes. Because if it's off the, oh, if it's off the highway, then, I mean, he's got plenty picking then. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that come through there, you know. But he probably sorts out certain ones. He likes likes certain ones because he's, unless he's got the whole, 
like the the peeping hole in every room, you know. And he's just okay. And I think we're gonna stop <laughs> talking about Psycho right there. I don't know. I think we're showing some of your true colors. Uh, <laughs> so, just, um, that's a lot of work, you know, to go through nothing. each room. <laughs> and that is why that didn't happen. No. All right. Yeah. And then uh, a couple more styles that were incorporated here are like the bumbling and incompetent and authoritative figures. <laughs> And particularly with police officers, and this is actually due to Hitchcock um, having a fear of law enforcement due to being sent to a police station as punishment by his father when he was about four or five. Now, what better way to teach your kid a lesson than when he's four or five and he can barely remember what's going (laughs) on and let's just send him to the police station to scare the shit out of him. Hey, you know um, what? He was jumping on that Beyond Scared Straight. Well, like. oh, you know, yeah, I mean, he's the original Scared Straight. I mean, if you and look at how successful he got. I mean, obviously <laughs> it works, you know, I mean, it, if it worked for Alfred Hitchcock, it definitely worked for some kid, you know, some I don't know. I don't know who it is. And one of my favorite styles that he's actually had a huge influence on is the use of darkness to imply impending doom, like dark clothing, shadows, smoke, uh, all of that you can see in almost every single one of his films. Yeah. Um, And I feel like it also inspired, um, like how we were talking, inspiring other directors too. It kind of set the, the, the tone for a lot of, uh, directors instead of just telling a story through the the story itself it's it's about the atmosphere of the movie and the lighting and just trying to find every little way and he was doing this during times of the black and white you know movies so i mean that's definitely a big part in him being able to transition a light which is you know i mean it's only two shades you know well three shades if you count the gray you know but to to use that lighting and everything like that in the effect of telling the story and like kind of changing the tone and everything. I I, I think it's really, really interesting. Uh, Definitely. Like, and a few more uh, styles. He just had so many, like that he came up with over the years that have become staples. And another one is an innocent man accused of a crime. Uh, That is a tone in quite a few of his uh, movies. And then another one, is the use of a MacGuffin plot device. And a MacGuffin is an object or device or event that holds importance of getting the plot to start, but declines in importance as the movie continues, so much so that it may be forgotten by the end. So a good example of a MacGuffin is actually R2-D2 in Star Wars. Uh, George Lucas has actually uh, come out and said this, that He's very essential in the very, very first episode of yeah. Star Wars. Well, because uh, without R two D two, they wouldn't. Luke wouldn't have found out, you know, about going uh, and rescuing Princess Leia. You know the whole like. Luke, you're my only hope. <laughs> Luke, you're no, my only hope. It's not Luke. Who is it's it? Obi Wan. Obi Wan. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're Was my only Obi- hope. Oh yeah, that's right. She yes, didn't know okay. about Luke. Oh, oh yeah. Well, Luke was the one who found it, but Obi Wan was the uncle, Uncle Ben, wasn't he? Yes, but the thing is, the message was meant for, for Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh yeah. 
Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, I like that one. Oh, my yeah. God. That's, uh, so, that's the phrase, but yes. <laughs> after R2-D2, because, like, in the very beginning of that movie, he's given the message, and yeah. he's on his mi- on his mission to give it to Obi-Wan. Yeah. Obi-Wan. Yeah, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. After the man with that, the plan. Like, once that is completed, which is completed very early on in the movie, he's no longer really that's right, needed. Luke, yeah, because Luke's kind of like a snot-nosed brat. Like in the beginning, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of like, he's whining he's about going boy. to hang out with his friends. They wouldn't just go hang out with my friends. And then all of a sudden, Obi Wan shows up and he's like, let me teach you the ways of the Force, kid. And he's then he grows him up. this whole time. Well, yeah, I know. These aren't the droids yeah. you're looking for. I have no idea what you're saying <laughs> at this point. Okay. So, some notable directors who have used the Hitchcockian style of filmmaking includes. Eddie's boy, Dario yes. Argento. I will rename this guy a lot. <laughs> Park Chan Wook and Brian yes. De Palma. Nice. Yeah. No, I mean, and and those are just a few that I mean. I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure he's he's had his hand, like I said, that cookie jar is a big cookie jar, and he's had his hand in it quite a bit. You know, and he's influenced a lot of directors, and I mean, I feel like he's not only introduced. Influenced a lot of directors, but also uh, uh, people from different parts of the production as well. You know, he's probably the lighting guys and all that stuff. Everybody kind of takes a piece of it because since he did do so much in his movies and he kind of, you know, he fixed the lighting, he was working the camera, he was doing all this stuff. So everybody kind of takes a piece of what, you know, he's done and everything. Um, and the man, I mean, you can't, you can't, really can't limit this guy's influence on the film industry in general like as as much as he's the master of suspense he's really the master of film you know at, that I is mean, very he's, true yeah so and uh you know we're talking about all of the uh style influences that he's had and everything and here's a couple like reasons as to why they have like become such a style influence uh so average hit Hitchcock, uh, he had a way of visually telling a story in that way of like show don't tell due to mm. beginning and silent films. And this created a constant, unique and innovative way of telling a story. Well, and I mean, he wasn't really a big fan of when they added sound to the to the film. Um, he was actually kind of reluctant on it and was a, at first was abrasive, but of course he said, you know, the only way to create, he figured the only way to create movies now was to adapt with the times. Exactly. And so as much as, as much as some people, you know, want to cling to that old way or whatever way they're, they're, they're stuck in, you know, he was willing to adapt into the new, into the new uh, age, you know, he, he was willing to put on that flock of seagulls hat, you know, and run. Run so, far away. so with that, does that mean you'll like start accepting CGI a little bit more? I've okay. I I have I have because I watched this movie over la- last week, uh, The Irishman, and apparently they they de-aged Robert De Niro, and I will say they did a pretty good job. Like you can you. You're watching it, and you can kind of, you can't really tell 
that that's old Robert De Niro. Like they actually did it in a way where it's not completely CGI. Like it doesn't look real fake. It actually looks like it was, you know, Goodfellas, Robert De Niro, you know, but like towards the end of that movie when he had a few gray hairs and stuff, you know, but still though, he was young. He was like 49 Robert De Niro. It wasn't, you know, I don't know how old he is now, but I'm pretty sure he's not 49. Um, <laughs> so, but like you're, you're, you're being like, I'm, I'm, emb- I'm embracing, yes, I'm embracing the CGI. I was reluctant at first. Yeah, the change I of like times. It. I figured the only way to, to, uh, to prosper is to adapt, you know, and, and as much as I've, you know, that's what killed off the dinosaurs, either that or a meteor, you know, so adapting and just kind of embracing the new way of filmmaking and CGI seems to be the new way. And I mean, a, a lot of times they do it pretty tastefully. So, you know, just like with Alfred Hitchcock, you know, saying, I know I like the silent films, but now here's some music and here's some voices and them telling the story. I'll do the same. We'll see John. Because you know why? I'm a man of mystery. All and right, I am so- very <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> so what I think is very intriguing is Alfred Hitchcock finally, out of a lot of directors, ended up really showing like the characters and he used to use like set design and the scene setting to build suspense curiosity and attachment to the characters which if you look back on a lot of like older older movies uh back from like between like 1920s to like even the 40s the attachment to these characters and uh your feeling for them it's not as strong as a lot of the ones more today. Like, you know, they, they show this development of them. They get you attached to the characters. And so when all this stuff is happening to them, it actually makes it suspense, suspenseful. You're actually curious onto what's going to happen to them yeah. and everything, which in all of his movies, you feel that. Well, yeah. And I feel like a lot of, uh, he was just a master storyteller. Like he could tell Mm -hmm. the story and he made you, and the part of being a master storyteller is you actually feel an empathy for the characters and actually having some type of uh, relatability with the characters as well. And I feel like he made characters where he used his own personal feelings and and his own life to kind of create everybody in his movies and, you know, real life circumstances and real life insecurities and all that stuff to kind of, you know, show and put on the screen, you know, and at the time it it felt like everything was very general. Characters were very generalized just because that wasn't the main point of the story. Wasn't, I, I feel like some movies, it wasn't the main point. They just wanted, I mean, it was new technology you know, so they wanted to tell a story, but it was more about the story rather than the characters, you know. And it's like Alfred you were Hitchcock, al- you were like already supposed to be attached. Exactly. To yeah. Like like they they jump in almost like, you know, these guys, these guys are, you know, friends from years ago. But Alfred Hitchcock wanted to introduce you to these new characters and then have some type of feel for them. And then when you think, you know, them. 
just completely rips the rug from under you and then come to find out they they might not be who they, who you thought they were the whole time. I mean, I think that's what created the, the, the suspense in his movies. See, and I feel like that brings us to our next thing, too, is that he did use a lot of sub-themes to create death into his movies and stories. Uh, while a movie may have an overall theme, he didn't stop at the surface level. He had so many different things going on, which I think also really helps with mm. getting attached to the characters and everything. Uh, he really made his movie, like, just, like, how people say the plot thickens and everything. Like, yeah, that exactly, is yeah. Oh, yeah, because you, you, you think it's it's one thing. You, you think you've jumped in the water and it looks shallow, but then come to find out it goes in, like, six feet, you know, and you're sinking to the bottom at a pretty fast pace, you know. And all and of a sudden, Norman Bates is dressed like his mother. Like, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and... and, and <laughs> And he's killing people in showers. I mean, you know, the, the iconic shower scene is, is amazing. The fact that it was co- uh, chocolate syrup for the blood was <laughs> even better. And very See? tasty. I would like to be in that movie because I would be like, please stab me. I, I Spray the chocolate syrup on me. I, I'll eat. <laughs> <I'll>... <laughs> See, but one thing with that scene is that I remember a lot is the music. Yes. With that. Exactly. And- one thing with him is that he used music very specifically mm-hmm. and was very particular about the way it affected the scene. For again, in Psycho, like I'm able to just like picture that scene now and I hear the music. Like with huh? every stab, there's just like the very sharp, <laughs> yes, just the yeah. sharp sound of the music and everything. And he was absolutely brilliant when it came to uh, oh, yeah. that, which. What I feel has also very, like, just greatly influenced so many more, like, horror movies specifically yeah. well, with this music. Well, because a big part of the horror genre is the music. A lot of times with, with great music and that atmosphere that the music brings, it can cause that terror feeling, that, you know, unsure, solitude. You know, you're just, you're stuck in that moment and you're, well, you're I mean, on the even, edge of your seat. Even with... uh the music and horror movies and everything that right there, like all of a sudden this like loud, deep, like bass uh, music, it'll, it'll make it'll, you jump. It'll jerk you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. even our grandmother that is able to just make her scream. Nothing else happens yeah. on the screen <laughs> yes. and everything. But then it's all of a the sudden music. there she is and just, you know, making grown it, other grown men scream in the middle of a theater. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> That's me. I will. Yeah. No. It, like, there's very been true. Many It'll catch times, you off guard. That's like thing, many times, know? like watching one of the like scary movies and everything. I've seen it a million times. All of a sudden, my mother or our grandmother screams and like it makes yes. me jump and everything because it's like, wait a moment. Catches me off guard. <laughs> Nothing yeah. happens. And that, <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing is the music alone can cause the terror. And that's when you know that you've done a good job is when you can build that suspense and that and that feeling. And then all of a sudden you just throw in, you know, a high octave and then all of a sudden everybody's just jumping and and crying and hoping that they make it out of the theater alive. Yeah. Because there's a lot of murder going on. So then also another thing with Alfred Hitchcock is he required the actors to be the best at what they did. 
and was very controlling on set. He did not take yes. to improv like how you said earlier or changes yeah. to his movies and uh, no. tended to hire the same actors. Like, because if they worked for him like well the first time, they were good with him. He doesn't have him. to break in anybody new. That's the exactly. thing, you know. He's and already he, broken him in. <laughs> yeah, and see with that, he also had a lot of unique ways of treating his performers, including handcuffing two of his leads to each other and pretending to lose the key for a bonding exercise. Well, this is this is like those uh, Chinese finger locks, you know? You get stuck <laughs> in those with your friend, and you're trying to get out of it. And, I mean, at a certain point, you both are trying to figure this out. It does create a bonding experience, you know? You're, 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 it's a bonding <laughs> moment, you know? And see, you, and you his, gotta applaud him. He's thinking of the bigger picture. <laughs> and his treatment of other actors was not as light. Uh, for instance, uh, <laughs> Tippy Hedron uh, was traumatized on set of the birds, as she had been promised to only be subjected to mechanical birds, but instead was attacked by real birds. While Hitchcock just sat by approvingly. But this, <laughs> this, however, was not the only trauma that she would face from Hitchcock. Yes, birds. Yes. Strike the humans. He's just he's just sitting approvingly. I just I just imagine him laughing and having a good old time at this lady's expense. See, <laughs> I only imagine him kind of nodding approvingly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He. I could see him doing that. Yes. Uh let's let's try that one more time <laughs> I, this time i want more bird more birds all right actually send in a few more is that is that a hawk yes i want the hawk <laughs> <laughs> and he did not try to confuse and make the story difficult. A lot of his scenes are pretty straightforward. Instead, yep. he kept the stories linear and easy to follow to keep his audience's attention. Well, I mean, you're dealing with grown people. Grown people do not have a big exp- uh, um, attention span. Attention span. See, that 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 goes to prove. I, right there, I, I lost my train of thought midway through that <laughs> sentence. Imagine watching a movie for that long and trying to figure out a complex plot. It's You're amazing that we're able it. to do this. It's amazing that we're able to analyze movies like we do, you know, but you I don't know, know. We're, it, we're don't throw it in a wee. Don't throw it in a wee. That is you. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, I do what I can, you know, and um, and the thing is that I that's another thing is him, the director, knowing his audience, you know, and knowing who he's trying to go for, who's who's working towards who he's making the movies for him, but he's also making movies you can tell he probably knows what he wants in a movie you know that's probably one of the big things and apparently everybody else agrees because he's everybody loved his movies uh, yeah and most people loved his movies yes and uh his use of the camera was also very unique Mm-hmm. Um, as he believed that the camera should act as a character itself and roam playfully or pan for important scenes, which also reminds me quite a bit of Dario Argento. He does that yeah. quite often where the yes. camera is supposed to kind of be the character, be the killer and yeah. everything. So I see where that is where Dario Argento also got some influence from Alfred Hitchcock. And that's the, the I, I feel like that's the art school mentality. You know, they have that artist mentality is because they they're using the camera 
to make to manipulate and everything and, and make a scene more intense and they use a certain camera angle for, for certain things. I, I, I think it's it's really good and it's really unique because it does play a part and when you're you're making the camera disorient orientating and everything like that and you're trying to build suspense, it it influ- it makes it way more intense as far as that feeling goes. You know, you got a shaky camera. It kind of gives you that, you know, paranoia feel and stuff. See, I think one of the most, like, notable things that Alfred Hitchcock has done, and I don't know, like, I feel like everybody knows this, or at least everyone who has some kind of knowledge of film does know this, but I'm going to say it anyways, is (laughs) that he made his signature cameo appearances in 39 of his films. Like, yes, he's here. always that, like, one random dude <laughs> Yep, and he, in the movie. I, he pulled a Quentin Tarantino. He literally did what Quentin Tarantino does. Well, I'm pretty I guess sure Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino did does what, what Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock does. does. Yes, my bad. Let me rephrase that. Yes, yes. Quentin Tarantino was pulling Alfred Hitchcock because this man was – he was not shy of the camera. And, you know, a lot of directors, they're, they're kind of in the background all the time. He wanted to be in front of the camera. You could tell he kind of, and he he was pretty funny. I mean, you see the introductions to that Alfred Hitchcock presents, and and a lot of a lot of times he's joking in the introduction to the film and stuff like that. You know, he or into the uh, episode. You know. See, and also I think what's really cool is that like not just like Quentin Tarantino, but uh, there's actually a lot of directors who who direct like the TV shows and like series and everything. And when it's their last, like final episode of like their entire series, a lot mm. of the time they'll actually have a quick little cameo in their show and everything. I know that was true with the show desperate housewives. Uh, oh, yeah. director Mark Cherry and <laughs> the very end was one of the moving guys and stuff who he even talks on the commentary of the show that mm. oh he got to pull his little Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> moment and everything so like it's just such a talked about thing but it's yeah. so simple it really is it really is and also he was actually known for pulling pranks like how you said like you know he was kind of funny yeah, and everything kinda... <laughs> uh, like this one time he had an actor uh, bet that he couldn't remain handcuffed and when the actor agreed he slipped him a laxative and locked him up <laughs> like is, he is pretty sick this man <laughs> this man sick. could have showed up on the 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 uh jackass crew and he oh, would definitely he would have been like part original of jackass he, exactly oh my god i would have loved to see alfred hitchcock this yeah. is alfred hitchcock <laughs> and this is the laxative handcuff <laughs> <laughs> That would be a great episode. God, I wish that I wish Jackass was back in the 1930s. That would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been honestly, they like that would be such would, a like <laughs> epic episode. Honestly, I wouldn't even be mad if it was a silent film. I would actually, en- <laughs> I would, I would enjoy it regardless. All that I can imagine is just like Steve-O in a silent film with all of the music kind of playing and like being in like a diaper or something like how exactly. he normally is, just kind of running around and then get into like some kind of rocket and then being shot off 
That would be amazing. I and they had they they might have had the technology back then, you know. I don't I know. There, like there was all the circuses, you know. There was. It was. I... <laughs> but uh, so you know, he is like funny. He definitely is a guy. He got what he wanted and all that kind of stuff. One of the things that I thought was kind of cool about Psycho is that he actually intentionally sent the more like the censors, the people who like you know. Uh, like screen the movies yeah uh, more graphic scenes than he actually intended to use for the film so that more of his subtle shots wouldn't get axed it's and called he... the bluff <laughs> and he also <laughs> fought their request to change the sexually suggestive opening scene by telling them they needed to show up on set to show him how to change the scene when they didn't show up he kept the original shot. And they were already feeling uncomfortable watching it on the screen. I guarantee they were going to feel even more uncomfortable watching it in real life. <laughs> and also, another kind of fun fact about Psycho is that it was the first movie to show a flushing toilet. Damn, those flushing toilets? Like, I feel like that in itself, like... That... I don't know, people, like, especially back then, were very uncomfortable with that kind of, like invasion is, of privacy yeah i mean i guess you can see it because the only person who should see a flushing toilet is the person that's on the toilet yeah and like he actually <laughs> convinced the censors that it was like central for the plot really yeah i mean maybe it might have been maybe if if there wasn't a flushing toilet that movie might not have had the great plot that it did you know i, I know like i i it, don't know i feel I, like not as I, many I, people would watch it I just want the toilet to flush. Just flush the toilet once. So One and, good flush. <laughs> uh, also with Psycho, um, he actually funded the entire movie and crew from the show Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Yes. I mean, what better way to make a great movie than to fund it yourself? Because... Yes, and uh, That's a guarantee. The reason why the black it is actually a black and white movie is just because it's cheaper to make. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's you can't argue with that. The man, the man knows how to make movies and how to make them on a budget. Yes, and he did this also for sixty percent ownership of the movie. Smart man, not fifty, sixty. That extra ten percent <laughs> will go a long it way. It matters, especially with how. Um, like talked about this movie still is. Oh yeah, you know. I I'm mean, you're sure. able to go to Universal Studios right now and go onto their tram and pass by the house and the motel that all of this was shot at. Yeah, and everything. Man. I so, mean, wasn't it in the uh, Norman Bates show as well? Uh, yes, Bates it was. Motel? They used the same set. Yeah, which is really, which is really cool. Uh, yeah, and uh. He actually wrote a portion of the Motion Pictures uh, film production entry for the 14th edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannica? Britannica, yeah. Britannica. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that. He's just kind of everywhere. <laughs> he's everywhere, every, everywhere, everything. I'm telling you, this cookie jar, he cannot get enough of these cookies. He's loving oh, definitely. them. He, he's, trying to, he's trying to expand the brand, and you can't blame him for that. You know. Yeah, and he—he's just—he has such a humongous impact on the film industry. 
Um, everyone at least has heard of Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I'm pretty sure they study his, his, his in film schools and everything. Oh, I mean, they do. that's they the main subject. I'm pretty sure he's probably one of the main ones that they, that at least one of the many. That, I think actually, uh, in film, I've heard a lot that, uh, when it comes to certain things, like for instance, thriller and suspense and just the yeah. basic shooting, they do like highly focus on Alfred Hitchcock. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the man paved the way. He definitely paved the way for him. He really did. Uh, but, I don't know, with all of these movies and everything, I think I would go a little psycho trying to choose one to start off with. I would, if, if I were to choose, if I were to choose, I feel like um, – Vertigo would probably be one to 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 kind of get your dip your toe in, you know. Yeah, especially if you're young and innocent. Or or you know, if you want something that's a little more subtle, maybe you should watch Murder. You know, cause... Okay, so I, I'm gonna go ahead and dial in for murder right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, all right. Well, I'm gonna travel north by Northwest. Okay, well, don't look out your rear view, rear view window. I might catch vertigo if I do. All right, well, <laughs> follow us on Instagram at UFO Projects and Twitter at UFO underscore projects for updates. This has been Master Shot. My name's Alina. My name's Zeddy. We're headed back to our home planet because this planet fucking sucks. And I will be back soon as well. This is your boy, one and only, Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, oh, oh.